So you think overall the podcast went okay last week? <laughs> it sounds like you don't think it did. People missed you. I got some comments like... It's not the same. It's not the same. You guys suck. <laughs> yeah, we missed you. I mean, like I told Brian, we needed our foil. Well, I think you guys need a little bit of a grown-up kind of reality check. If that person's not available, luckily we have you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a show about media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Morrissey, and each week I'm joined by Troy Young and Alex Schleifer. This week, we're discussing the future of news in what I call the information space. For some reason, and I think I know why, many people pretend that, quote unquote, the media are still gatekeepers to information, but those days are long past and they're not coming back. The information space, on the other hand, is a free-for-all in which the news industry is only a part and arguably not even the most important part, from podcasts to newsletters, to TikToks, to tweets. The decentralized information space is already here and its evolution will have far-reaching implications well beyond the fate of news companies and impact society itself. Hope you enjoy the discussion. I met up last night with a, a listener and a loyalist and this person said, Alex is so smart. Wow. Because yeah. I, I think actually what happened is Alex kind of <laughs> shot up in the ranks and then some people became kind of disenchanted and now maybe he's coming back maybe they saw through yeah. me <laughs> <laughs> it could be that's always a danger that's why you gotta like stop while you're ahead i think alex is on the podcast because he's he's smart as are you brian i remember that alex was smart the other day on another call this podcast doesn't actually get to showcase alex's gifts very well to be honest well thank you you put Alex in a pro in a product. Should we, should we design things or? <laughs> well, no, not just designing things, but system thinking, product thinking, identifying what's important, helping teams simplify. Like he's sort of next level at that stuff. So how can we showcase that, Alex? How how do we put you in a position to succeed? We'd have to do. I mean, and and also we'd probably have to do more episodes on the importance of gaming. Yeah. Which, which I think is, it's obviously has, there's good reasons to do that because of how much time people actually spend gaming, but the topic doesn't interest me much. I, I don't find it interesting. No offense, Alex. That's all right. Yeah. But we, we, could, we could get him to talk about. <laughs> he's, like, so, he's so bummed right now. I mean, I'm sure. No, the, he's like laughing. He's laughing at us because it's so lucrative. That's why. He's like, let's talk about I mean, news. I'm sure the there's best no ham radio operator found cell phones boring, but you know. <laughs> no, but the thing with I've been hearing about gaming, 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 gaming for like a generation now. But let's be real, it operates in a, a strange sort of side part of the overall media industry. The thing is it takes a huge amount of the attention spectrum, but to no consequence. It's just like, yeah, you can waste time gaming. Next. Except when you pay seventy bucks for a game. You can spend time reading this 3,000-word article in the New York Times. All right, I'm going to say something that's going to piss off Alex. I feel like, and I, I, I'm stealing this from someone else, it's like Mr. Beast. I keep reading that like billions of people watch. I don't know anyone who has any idea who Mr. Beast is. I really don't, outside of like the industry. You're I know Brian, it's not for Brian. me. I know that, but like, here's the thing. I honestly don't know adults who play video games all the time. I really don't. 
It's is that okay. me? Is that my circle? It's okay. You're an elderly dude living it's in Miami. Elderly. <laughs> <laughs> Middle-aged. <laughs> but you know how some people just age faster? I'm not. I, you know, I'm, they just like, no, they act 60 even though they're 40. There's a new generation of older people playing video games because it's a great way to pass your time when you're not as mobile and stuff like that. So I know people who play like Wordle and the Connections and those kind of New York Times-like games, but I honestly do not know anyone who at least admits to me. I know people who watch football. I know a lot of people who watch football. I don't know anyone. I know people younger than me, believe it or not. Not too younger because that's I weird. play games, Brian. No, I play backgammon don't. on my computer. On my that's phone. not a game. What is it? It's an activity. It's like a crossword puzzle. I do the I do the New York Times puzzles too. We're talking about video games while we're talking about not talking about video games. I don't know where this is going. Here's the thing: lots of people play video games. You guys are not interested. Video games doesn't get the same amount of coverage because they're not <laughs> celebrities attached to it compared to movies or things like that. So there's less drama around video games. But as a business, oh, there's less drama around video yeah. games. Hello, Gamergate was basically when all the stuff started to go down. Sure, but I'm so talking about celebrity drama. And so it, it's just that gaming, they don't carry a cultural punch like the other types of media. Because well, that's why I think this like FaZe Clan stuff is a disaster. That's a, a media centric view from somebody who ran magazines and thought that they mattered. Oh, yeah. Uchi. Uchi. <laughs> it's just because, you know, you're going to put like Charlize Theron on a cover, but you're not going to put some dude who program Call of Duty. I get that, but I think it's a little, the, the lack of cultural impact is manufactured because if you look at people of a certain generation, especially younger people, they're not spending time reading media or even watching TV. I mean, if you look at it, everybody was talking about Succession. Succession had like, I don't know, a couple of million viewers. Meanwhile, that just makes the point of its cultural impact versus no, you know, because Call I think the gatekeepers of media are creating so cultural impact because that's the Bryans and Troys of the world say, well, I don't know anyone who plays video games, so therefore I'm going to talk about this obscure TV show about media <laughs> because that's the most important wow. thing in my world. And guess what? I, I appreciate that you ranked me first, at least. And if you control those faucets, that's what happens. I don't know. You're getting into the conspiracy side. Yeah. So let's get right into the, it's the media. I just wanted to turn this into an interesting conversation. Otherwise, it's like... I'm curious about this. I think this would be a good starting point because, Brian, you had a very ambitious agenda for the podcast today around the future of news, right? I thought it would be good if we could start maybe with you because I'm curious. How do you get your news every day? How do I get my news every day? Yeah. Well, it's changed a little bit from... Twitter was always my go-to. I still go to Twitter. I just wading through it is a real bummer. So I open the New York Times app, but I find increasingly I need to complement that. I don't think you can get news from one source anymore. And so I complement that with, with different sources, like newsletters. Like I get, yeah, you know, I really like Bloomberg's daily newsletter. I think the Financial Times is a great news product. I appreciate it because it's, it doesn't come from an American perspective. And I think it takes a much different view, not much different, but a different enough view on a lot of issues than US-centric publications. So I enjoy that. It does a great job of reporting on the private equity industry. Are you, is that like a joke? No, they spend a lot of time on that. Yeah, but they're, they're like all into ESG and stuff like this, and it just gets dismissed here. And I think they have a differentiated viewpoint on a lot of, for instance, the hot button issues that are going on right now. I, I think it's important to get news from several sources. 
And the reason I wanted to talk about this today is because I think it's less about, quote unquote, the media or the media industry. And I like this term information space because that's what like Russians and, and then Ukraine call it. And because like we have to get beyond this idea that it's the media, the media is in terminal decline. Okay, so we have people who are attacking the media as a straw man because it's the information space. And the information space has a variety of inputs. It is a very complex system. And that is the reality now, and it's going to become more of the reality. That's a great framing. But before we move on, can we contrast the way you get media with the way our gamer friend Alex gets his media? He doesn't read. But I don't read. Well, let's just find out. I read a lot. I thought you said you don't read articles. Yes, change too. I used to get a lot of my news from Reddit and Twitter, and now I find using both of these sites like really painful. I use Artifact, even though its algorithms has become a little bit more less useful for me lately. But I use Artifact because I can kind of scan through news topics that I appreciate and then summarize or even get it read out to me. And then honestly, the most content I consume is podcasts. I get my news every morning. I get the uh, kind of NPR up first podcast and just I love listening to the radio. I find it comforting to, to hear people mm. kind of read out the news. I find like reading the news just exhausting. Otherwise, it's definitely well. The experience is terrible, guys. I'm sorry. I mean, even the New York Times, that supposedly good, like it's all shitty. It sucks to read the news on your phone. What does that mean? What do you? What? Why? It's great. It's just like it. With its words on a screen, it hurts your eyes. It's not pleasant to read. You're on a tiny screen. You mean the user experience you find like terrible? Yeah, I mean the New York York Times Times is one of the better ones, but like everything else is really terrible. One of the main reasons I say that I really want to coach you through this. You can't say things like everything else, i.e., thousands of places that one would get news, is terrible. Every time you get, we need more specific. Let me tell. Let me give you an example. When it's not ruined by a tabula kind of infestation or banner ads or video that they're trying to get me to play or if i get into okay so we we got the the clutter of well or i get into the article and the photo what if you paid for a subscription somewhere and supported journalism well then i get a single source which is like less compelling why do i need that yeah but when you're looking at artifact by the way you have to access your paywalled subscriptions right like wall street journal that's right and i read it through there just skip it no, 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 no. You can't read sure, it through I, there, Alex, unless you're authenticated. Yeah, but I get, authentic- I get, I get authenticated. And so I scan... So you're, you're authenticated at the Wall Street Journal through Artifact? No, you're not. L- l- let me tell you about the experience of news right now. Do you pay for news? If I go to... I need to go to the Wall Street Journal and then the New York Times or somebody sends me a link, every time I need to get into a new modality because I'm jumping from one side to another, the way they list the articles is different. The way I have to read the articles is different. Some of them I know that I can skip the thing. Some of them I know you're kind of constantly changing your reading and the text size because everybody's got their own design. And it's not just like a fun experience when you're kind of absorbing news in a, in a way that is much more sequential. Reddit used to be great because I used to get a little blurb of what was going on and then I used to read people's comments. Podcasts are good because in the morning, all my kind of daily podcasts are locked and loaded and I listen to it like a radio show. The act of just like jumping around and having to kind of readjust to everyone's different like little UI and UX quirks is a pain in the ass. It just is. Okay. Mm. It feels like it. Right? Too much friction. It's friction and it's, it's right. just not nice. But do you pay? Do you pay for any news? I pay for local news. So I pay for the Press Democrat down here in Sonoma. 
and I get I get real paper newspapers, yeah, yeah, nice. which is ninety percent advertising junk that's like pushed into it. But I want to support. What do they have it. Like, are people like selling airstreams because they got them during the pandemic? No, you know, it's like little like kind of business magazines and like top businesses in Sonoma and like sponsored. You know, have you seen what the experiment that's going on in D.C. with this, where they're giving out local news vouchers that are government funded to allow local residents to sort of allocate their voucher to a unpaywalled local news outlet? They're testing it with 600 and some thousand people in D.C., or at least it's been put forward as a concept where mm. they would allocate, in this case, $11 million, and that money would go to support this type of content. Yeah. Crazy. You know what I thought would be helpful to the bad UX of reading the news online? I thought newsletters would become more helpful. But everybody has decided now to also load their newsletters up with ads. Oh, but this is offensive. And now every newsletter at the beginning, and, and I'm like, I'm reading it. I'm like, oh shit, this is a sponsorship message. It's not a clean experience. Nothing is right. <laughs> reading, reading online like is your, terrible. Your problem is with capitalism. At the end of the day, I think the experience of reading a newspaper, you had this very clear delineation. You would, you know, appreciate the ads, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What digital gives people too many options. So whenever I experience, even within email, I feel like I have to learn a new UX of how to read this thing with every newsletter I download. And I think that's what's going to open the door up to an AI who digests all this stuff and spits it out to me in a way that I enjoy. You know, there's a much bigger issue that n neither of you hit on explicitly. <laughs> we missed is, you, Troy. What do you we missed the Troy that came in and says, you guys are missing something important or you're both being naive. That's what we missed in the last episode. Somebody keep us straight. I actually, someone, someone, a couple of people sent me a note about that. <laughs> oh, really? You need to check, check these mofos. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, because you're sort of yeah. Anyway, there was a there's a new Gallup poll out today that said that trust in the news is at a new all time low. Thirty two percent of the population, which is roughly the same as 2016, thirty nine percent of people in America say they don't trust news at all. And the biggest tip, by the way, what the right already didn't trust the news. This is the left abandoning ship. Well, I think we're seeing that with this war in the Middle East the end of the day, we're seeing the tables turn, right? You see, I think it's it's funny. Everyone just takes up different positions. You, you've got people who were free speech warriors who are like, you cannot have this speech. And it's like, wait a second, I thought you were the free speech people. And then you have people who were, you know, you're delegitimizing de news out there saying, I'm, I got plenty of text messages, but I understand the, the emotions of the moment about canceling their New York Times subscription because the Times screwed up the story about the bombing. Or the For the audience, the explain what happened, Brian. Yeah, so, I mean, the New York Times rushed up a story. There was an explosion at a hospital. Originally, it was a rocket attack. And in the information space, everyone's rushing. And the... Below a very a, f a photo that was from the yeah. wrong day, wrong place. Yeah, yeah. And so the Times botched the whole thing. And a lot of places botched it. Not, you know, the Times is, is under a microscope. In a lot of people's eyes, it delegitimized the, the news source, even though it's hard for me to come up with a scenario in which there is a conspiracy. This is my thing with conspiracies. I'm like trying to understand how it would work that like the New York Times has some sort of institutional bias against Israel, but I don't like, I know how these things go. 
Well, the right just sees liberal media as biased against Israel because they're a power. But, but a this is from the left. I, I heard this from like several very progressive people. I'm just saying like the media is a punching bag. And while the media has done itself no favors and covered itself, not covered itself in glory a lot over, frankly, going back, to, I trace it back to the Iraq war. Like the New York Times has never never been called to account for an institutional failing in that. That is not like screwing up a story. What they did had unbelievably terrible repercussions with carrying water for the government, with lies. But and, and where, where, lies. What do they teach you in journalism school, Brian, as to the sort of core tenets of, of journalism? What are the, in your mind, what are the things that define the art and craft of journalism? I think at the end of the day, it's being fair and being dispassionate. I mean, it, things have like changed a lot, I feel like, with the rise of identity in society. And the concept of neutrality has absolutely morphed from 20-odd years ago when I went to journalism school. I wouldn't recommend anyone going. And back then, we had a professor, Lyle Dennis, who proudly never voted in a presidential election because he thought it would reflect poorly on his like high-minded journalism and you know a lot of that stuff was ego driven to be honest with you and just a lack of competition i think what's really difficult is how do you be transparent anyone who's reporting the news or anyone who's creating anything in the information space comes at it with a full life of experiences we've been told over the last 5 eight years to bring our full selves to everything. And so I think that this is part of a struggle for how, because it becomes weaponized. There's a lot of, I, there's a lot of failings of the journalism industry, and there has been the last generation. But there also, I can hold that thought in one mind, and I can also hold the thought that there are a lot of unscrupulous actors in the information space, whether they're governments whether they're venture capitalists, whether they're just marketers or general scammers who are looking to delegitimize journalism and quote unquote mainstream media for a purpose. Those two things can be true at the same time because right. what it's not about media anymore. I don't understand it, why people talk about the media. Nobody controls the printing press. The old thing that you don't get an argument with the, with the person who buys ink by the barrel, I mean, give me a break. You have this chaotic, lawless, Mad Max information space in which everyone is jostling with everyone. Yeah, I'm interested. Can I can I can I pause here for a second? This has yeah. become a Troy Bryan interview session with Alex, providing some color commentary. Mm. The, Alex was dominating the early part. Right. So I'm interested in how you see this because I was I was just on TikTok. You over the moderator role. Yeah. I was just on TikTok and I, I was curious before this podcast to see what would show up in my segment today. And there was a young Jewish woman who was starting, uh, started the video with her bona fides that gave her the kind of platform to criticize the Israelis in a, in a way that was seen as sort of not biased or, you know, like the, the, she needed to establish a foundation for her point of view, right? So when you don't have the authority of a distribution system, right, like you're not on TV, quote unquote, right, or, or, or the news, or a media brand, your CNN or Financial Times or Wall Street Journal, 
or the institution of journalism itself is kind of being undermined, where do you get as a consumer or how do you manufacture as a creator these kind of symbols or signifiers of trust? That's the problem. Like, where do you go to get things that you believe? And what do you do as a content creator to create things that, that people are not skeptical of? The, the whole thing when AI came out, and this happened at kind of various waves through the kind of evolution of, of digital media, which is brands will always matter because consumers need them as bastions of trust, right? And so I'm curious just to get your take on this. Like, what are the things that we trust and what will be the things that we trust next? What will be the, the pillars of the information space, as you call it, that help us find our way? Because otherwise, it just turns into tribal information space, which is seemingly what it is. Right? Yeah, I like, think it is. It's right? experts, right? He's a you know a professor from this university, or was a scientist in this lab. Right? Yeah, they've all been de- delegitimized. These experts were telling us, forget about the the pan, not, not forget about it, but leave aside the pandemic for a minute. The expert class did not cover itself in glory when they told us there were WMDs in Iraq. Right. I remember all those experts. True, but okay. So I also find it very funny that the neocons went from like marching us into Afghanistan and Iraq, went quiet as never Trumpers, and now all of a sudden they're back on like the war path again. Well, but you hear a lot today, you need to be a critical consumer. You can't rely on these institutions anymore. You need to kind of, kind of the onus of verification is put back onto the consumer. But I just don't think that's realistic. Why? Well, because a lot of but pe- media literacy is not realistic because Americans are children. No, I think media literacy is is a requirement of being a kind of participant in modern society. I just don't think that's how humans, many many humans, work. They'll go to the easiest place to get information, and they'll believe much of what they hear based on other little signifiers of, I don't know, authenticity or, or credibility. I don't know. I have more faith in people than you do. Though. We're talking about people losing trust. Isn't it just that they're just believing something else? Uh, and I don't know what we're calling media today, but let's say, yeah, that information information That information space. space yeah, you that's, know, that's the title. This week, Elon went against Wikipedia, right? He obviously doesn't. <laughs> Even Wikipedia is being attacked. Jesus. And I think like Wikipedia. What did he say? I'll give I'll give him a billion dollars if they rename it to Dickopedia. Yeah, which is yeah. that's yeah. classy. And so it's just that there's an opportunity to have these loud voices now that just compete with the so-called sources of truth and the traditional media outlet. Like right. I listen to so yeah. truth as cult of personality. Yeah, because I think we are there's some sort of hack in the human brain where a lot of us fall for the strong man whatever it, like shamelessness and the, the, the shamelessness that allows you to kind of get elevated and just spout out whatever is beneficial to you and people fall in line. Everyone's essentially still falling in line. You know what I mean? It's not like people have just become mistrustful of what they read. That would be healthy if everybody mistrusted what they read. I think it's just that people blindly trust another source and therefore the New York Times is always wrong or any position around something that has no nuance because they they believe a certain type of writing. We're just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a few things though that anyone is operating in the information space can do to rebuild trust. One is 
I like going to restaurants with open kitchens because I like to see what's going on back there. I don't like the idea. I've worked in kitchens like enough of my life. And I know that like some of the stuff going on back there cannot be completely hygienic. Open kitchen helps. And I think that journalism overall, but anyone who wants credibility should have an open kitchen with how they are coming to their conclusions and actually producing what is now passing for news and information. I think the other thing is inherently, I'm like a broken record on this, people end up trusting humans other than faceless institutions because it is easy to ascribe spurious motives fairly and often unfairly on faceless institutions. Like the conspiracies that I always hear about the media, I'm like, where, when do these meetings take place and how can you pull off this apparent conspiracy and enforce it within, you know, an entire industry of people who are competitive? I don't understand it, but I think inevitably people are going to trust people more than anything. And I think the last thing, and this is something where I would say that journalism is is particularly bad at, is admit when you're wrong. Admit what you know and what you don't know. Because the problem ends up being, for instance, the Times, and some of this is actually a product problem. The news article is a a really imperfect format for fast-changing news. Like The Times has actually a pretty good, to me, format in which they have a constantly updating feed, this like live feed that they have for these kinds of news. And that is good because you can actually admit the things you know, where they come from, where they don't, because you cannot go back to you wait a day and then you produce 700 words about a piece. Right. Yeah. So, so that's the problem with platforms, right? Where you either manage the flow of bad information at the front end or bad actors or you try to do it through the system. So you must be an advocate for community notes then, Brian. Are you familiar with the mechanism oh, and yeah. h- how they work? Elon, Elon Musk responded to me saying that community notes were great. Okay, so that's the open kitchen concept, Got a lot of right? weirdos in my feed. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All the crypto dudes came out. Okay, well, why don't you explain? Explain what they... I don't think people understand how yeah. they work. So Brian. I don't fully understand how community notes... I, I thought it was more interesting when they were attaching it to advertising. Community notes basically are an, a way to have, quote-unquote, fact-checking that's done not through a centralized source. I think but every- y- there's more to it than that, though. All right, so explain. Okay, what, what do so, you think is most, the most significant about this? So the machine plays an important role in it. When there's a million lunatics commenting on a post, what gets to the top? What's the one that people read? Right, So the algorithm has to surface the top note, someone who's credible. How do you know that the person is credible? Well, Twitter regulates who can post a community note based on a bunch of stuff like how long you've been on the platform, blah, blah, blah. Right, And the other interesting thing is that they look to, the algorithm analyzes tweets that you've responded to so that they can have a kind of voting mechanism from both sides on the popularity of a community note. So they they use the algorithm to sort of assess who you are and then weigh your votes accordingly to gauge whether or not something should be surfaced. So there's a bunch of mechanics behind it to basically decipher who's, what piece of content gets surfaced. This, this is the exact same way like the New York Times handles comments. How to, like the, the comments section of news sites I would always compare it to like a porta potty at a concert. Don't look down 
and don't inhale when it came to the comments section because you, there was nothing good for you down there. You know, the New York Times has a, a way to like surface the most useful comments. In fact, actually, YouTube comments have gotten significantly better. That's normal. Reddit has their way. And that's fine. It's still incredibly imperfect. Like I, I saw a community note right after the terrorist attacks in Israel that was correcting the fact that the, the paragliders, that Palestinians are not known for paragliding. I was like, this is like offensive and weird. And that's the problem with these mechanized systems. I mean, there's an entire, I follow an account, like community notes go hard with all the like bizarreness of, I mean, I guess that's the sort of vibe they're going for on Twitter. I mean, there's a market for it. I don't think it's as big as Elon Musk would like it to be. No, the edge lord market is not massive anymore. But the, the <laughs> you were talking about open kitchen. I, I don't think community notes is open kitchen. Community notes is like open table reviews or Yelp reviews, right? Like, is there maybe a sense that Large personalities have an outsized advantage over these institutions because, like you said, you can apply something to an institution. It's easy to mistrust an institution's motives, but like hearing somebody say something and and having especially like a more nimble format to communicate with your audience, which is like Twitter and podcasts and whatever, allows you to zig and zag. Because mm -hmm. like a lot of these folks, you know, let's take the All In Pod, have said like things that turned out to be very wrong, never had to apologize, but kind of managed to reconstruct a narrative around it to make themselves sound right. And I think they can... Wait, is that they true? Can, they said something that oh, was wrong? Oh yeah, believe it or not. Which, and any specific example? No, I mean, I think like the, the shift from the crypto and SPAC era of the podcast to these things no longer yeah. exist is kind of a fascinating thing to watch. It's an amazing... But this is part of the information space. Wait, this is part of just being a human. Do you expect them to go on about crypto now? Or what, what do you expect? A mea culpa? Own up. Own up to... Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what these unscrupulous snake oil salesmen want from the quote-unquote mainstream media. I don't know. Heal thyself, doctor. Mm. Like, why not? Why don't we all own up when we're, we're wrong? I was wrong about events going away during during the pandemic. I'm willing to admit. You guys that. are wrong about video games okay. being culturally relevant. <laughs> I'm wrong about video games too, <laughs> just because I'm Andy Rooney. <laughs> I don't know my fellow shuffleboard people. So you want us to cut to uh, a, a Chamath confession? I don't want anything. These guys the... can do whatever they want. All I'm saying is that they have it's it's an asymmetric battle. With trust in people, it's. I think it's becoming easier for folks to trust these people. Well, they're putting themselves out there. They're putting their names behind it. They're talking to us every week. It's a real and honest conversation. Like how many people are saying that it feels really real and honest, even though they're selling their book constantly, right? Yeah. And uh, well, do you know what I think also is part of this? Sorry, but like uh, they're selling their book. You're talking to the king of selling his book, right? beneath you in but the, he does it honestly thing. i think brian, brian does Morrissey. it in a, yeah. me oh me <laughs> i'm like i was like no you're below he's always yeah, i'm surprised you haven't book. mentioned I'm a webinar yet or some dinner yeah i don't exactly. have any lined up do uh, you know what when you mentioned open kitchen restaurants i thought you were going to sell a dinner with some key executives <laughs> <laughs> no i have one coming up on november 15th <laughs> there we go thank you blue kana kaiser kaisen yeah <laughs> i value all my partners It is. It's going to be great. It's a lot of news publishers there. Yeah, yeah stop it. it. Okay. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> These are private dinners, 15 people, if anyone wants to get in touch. It's a safe space. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Look, we all got to hustle. What were we talking about? 
before we got into monetization. Oh, it was just that individuals have kind of like an advantage over institutions because of that. Well, I think the advantage also, and I always found this like in offices, talkers have an advantage over thinkers. And I think a lot of times these days, this is a golden age for talkers, right? I say this as someone who does two podcasts, (laughs) speaks at events, whatever. And you can do lots of stuff when talking. It's harder to hide illogical arguments in writing. It's why I would always force people to write stuff down because you get exposed easier when you write than when you talk. You can do all kinds of feints and, and showmanship you can do that. It's harder to pull off in, in writing. Yeah, I think a good exercise, if you haven't tried that before, and I'm sure you have, Brian, is to read a transcript of a podcast that you really enjoyed. I read this one. It's, it's, like it's just madness. But, you know, Sam Harris, however, because he writes... Yeah, Donna, nobody he, should, like, mock Donald Trump because we all talk like him. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can mock he, Donald yes, Trump. Yeah, I think you can. So do you want to get back on track, Brian? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. We're talking about the future of news. Is that correct? I don't think it's the future of news. It's it's news in this information space because I think the quote unquote future of news, there's too many straw men set up. It is not how we get information and how we perceive our world and how we connect the dots is not through the news industry, the media. There are so many different actors. And again, I go back to like when militaries, when the when Russian military and intelligence services, when they look at it, they do not talk about controlling the media. Like they look at, at dominating the information space. And there are a lot of different levers that are pulled. What we're going through right now, I believe, with the war in the Middle East, this is a battle that's moved into the information space. And I think that people are going to have to get real media literacy is going to be incredibly important going forward, even more so than it is today, when you think about AI and when you think about the different levers that are going to come that are going to be available to manipulate how people think about certain issues. That's a reality. And it is not quote unquote the media or the news. Okay. So I get that. Alex, mm. what do you think is the way that people are going to get their information in the not too distant future. How should we be thinking about, like, I'd, let's just focus on someone. Let's say you have a kid that's 13, 14 years old, and you care about the information that they're consuming and you want to help them be, you know, as you describe guys, like a kind of better, more aware, more critical information consumer. How do you think they're going to be getting their information and what advice do you give them? And I used to be much more of a news junkie and an information, somebody who just read a lot of articles and I was subscribed to all sorts of RSS feeds and just had it all organized. I think the the first thing I'm going to try to do is make sure that they don't feel the need to consume too much news. I feel we're like, there's just too much of it. And we seem to be interested in every single detail that isn't, particularly useful, just makes us feel anxious, pushes us to feel empathy because, you know, of course we, we empathize and then forces us on one side or another. And none of these conversations are actually useful. They're not adding to anything. Every time I noticed that I, you know, because I grew up in the region in, in the Middle East, I kind of got sucked into the news cycle a little bit more. And I noticed that 
you know, there's this stuff happening there. And then there's all these other news that they're throwing at you. And it's an entertainment product. They're trying to, to get your For attention. Sure. And that in itself is just, there's just too much. And I would say like, just consume less of it. And so for me, I'm not as upset if there's less news and less news sources. I think maybe we're just getting too much of it already. Yeah. I think there's a great case to be made that, that overall people need less news, not more news. I think that it's a completely sensible choice to actively try to consume less news because news has become about reinforcing identity and an us versus them. A large part of the consumption is not about being more informed or democracy or anything. It's about getting mad at, quote unquote, the other. And the other shifts for different people. And sometimes it's like a circular firing squad, to be honest with you. Mm. So I think that it's like cigarettes. Like one after dinner is fine, mm. but like 10 or 12, and you're not going to feel good. Yeah, but you know, I used to think it was the right thing to do to subscribe to a proper newspaper and put it on the table every morning. And that that would be something you encouraged your children to read. And just that was a responsible parental move. But why? Why? Because you wanted people to be informed and you thought that reading a newspaper was a responsible thing to do. And that's what you do as a parent. And you obviously have your biases around which newspaper is the right one. Like you wouldn't, heaven forbid, you put the New York Post on the table. You know, in my case, it was the Globe and Mail or the New York Times. And I think that these kind of habits were pushed from generation to generation. Okay, but you're talking about them in the past tense. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, no, I have no, my son seems to be fairly well informed, but I have no idea how he gets his information. YouTube? My daughter gets her information from a Bloomberg terminal. But yeah, my son gets it mostly from YouTube and I think Reddit and increasingly TikTok. We didn't ask him this? I mean, I ask him this all the time. Okay. I ask kids this all the time. YouTube is number one for a lot of My people. new media diet now that is the healthiest, and I'm trying to even delete all the news apps from uh, my phone because it's all becoming algorithmic and obviously trying to grab my attention. It's all becoming very smart or just showing me stuff that will like pique my interest, whether it's just going to make it enrages me or it makes me feel happy or whatever it is they're just there to to keep me on the app but really listening to that up first podcast by npr it's 15 minutes long you know there's something big have pent over the day you're gonna hear about it mm. and the rest of it you can stay out of it and then i read the local news about some tree that fell on a street or a llama that got away and i'm happy <laughs> you got runaway llamas or an alpaca or something yeah I got people getting on brawls in the middle of the night outside of my I mean, apartment. you know, these are both important <laughs> events. <laughs> <laughs> Gets very active down here at night. This is my sort of hopeful take. I think people have, I thought after 2016 to 2020 that, and we, we saw this, we saw d- declining engagement of, of, in news. And this was obvious, you know, the Trump bump was followed by the Trump slump. And a lot of news outlets used the Trump hysteria to drive their subscription businesses. And that is a reality. And it was a good business decision for many of them. I mean, I think if you look at what the New York Times did, it's a pretty ballsy move, right? They cut, all, they cut their total addressable market, 
right? I mean, they just cut it, but they were able to, to make up for that by going into games and becoming a lifestyle bundle for a certain group of people. There is 40% of the people who are news consumers in this country who would never, ever consider paying the New York Times. And I think that was a sensible business decision. I don't know whether it improved their news product. I've been consuming it forever, but like I don't I think it's a very different product than it was to say 10 years ago, for sure. But I think the market for news itself is shrinking, right? To talk my own book, we we just did a survey of publishers, not just news publishers, but subscriptions have hit a wall. Over half of the 200 something publishers who responded said that their subscriptions were either flat or declining or like up under 5%. And there's no market for advertising on news. Brands do not want to be around this stuff at all. It is a major problem. They block keywords and some of it is just straight. I don't know how they can talk about purpose all they want. They block Muslim. <laughs> they, bo- they block all- wait, wait, wait. How, how does how does that work? Who's they? So they use brand they use brand safety vendors, uh-huh. okay, yes, who yes. whip up hysteria because that's how this industry works. When there is a quote unquote problem. So what do the brand safety vendors do? So they create they block impressions on contextually marked pages. Yeah. And so when basically the advertising industry has been driven by the fear of the screenshot for, for since the beginning. Right. And the screenshot is someone finds your ad next to some quote unquote bad content. Okay. And I can remember going back when Google started its AdSense. I can remember Overture sending to me the screenshot that they had of how Google had scanned a New York Post article about a decapitated head being found in a briefcase or a suitcase and it had a Samsonite ad next to it. There's no evidence that people reading this crime story would say, oh my God, I'm never buying Samsonite again. They would more likely just be like, oh, that's weird. But anyone who's at an agency is terrified of that screenshot. It's just terrible. It's a bad day. And so the best way to do it is just be like, block all news. Don't have me anywhere near. Yeah, which, which essentially demonetizes a lot of this real news stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so basically, domestic violence is on these lists. So news publishers are penalized for covering domestic violence-related stories. And so this is being done by the same people. I just cannot get over this. This is being done by the same people who get lauded on stage for their bravery and all this stuff and talk about how they're driven by purpose. You're not mm-hmm. driven by purpose. I'm sorry. That's a great point, Brian. You know, I look at the mechanics of it, and I, I was just thinking as, as the earlier when we were uh, starting the episode how much of the activity seeps into the broader information space, which is deeply connected to human communication, whether that's conversation about what's going on on Reddit or someone who aspires to be slightly more influential or professionalized on TikTok. But in this landscape, the kind of institutional skill of media as the tip of the spear becomes ever more important as something that can be, or at least aspire to be, independent, impartial, transparent, protecting the public interest, have some verification process. Like all of that will remain incredibly important. And that mechanically, I think I get most, and I know that you, I think you always laugh at me when I say verifications are really like the delivery man of the modern news era, but they, mm-hmm. 
they're the things that bring it to my attention and they're controlled by the platform and the platform increasingly is my is apple is the operating system you know when i think about where i get a lot of my news in addition to the stuff i seek out every morning and i'm a motivated news consumer and my email box and major media publications whether it's new york times or bloomberg or whatever and there's obviously emergent brands like an axios or a puck or whatever but like the vitality of notifications are the things that actually pull me into to stories in the present. Hmm. Yeah, because something's happening and it pops up. Do you find how much of your news consumption is like alternative, quote unquote, alternative media? I think that's what Sam Harris calls it. Alternative media versus oh, what's labeled. Alternative as, you know, in terms of an individual or a lot of it. I, I'm kind of in the Alex camp. I like podcasts a lot. So I would say very okay. few of my podcasts come from established media channels. So a lot. Yeah. And, you know, newsletters. And I think that's one, one of the great things about journalism, a small J, not capital J, is that it is an unaccredited profession. There's no license that you need to practice it for better or for worse. It's an open system. And that's why I think it's interesting that Elon Musk is positioning Twitter as a citizen journalism platform. I, now, I always thought that, that the global town square was a better metaphor because I thought of the town square not like small town America town square, but like Washington Square Park, like during mm. the pandemic. Has he said that? Is that there was like a fight going on in one corner? There's people selling weed all over the place. There's various scammers and marketers. There's people getting mugged. There's some old people playing chess. It, it's more like that than like a a very sort of nostalgic view. Is that his positioning now? I haven't been following that. Yeah, he said that it's like the best way to informed is by citizen journalists and I don't know I think this is a big test for it I blocked a lot of like keywords because there was a lot of shouting going on I didn't see maybe your experiences have been different like I haven't found Twitter's approach a quote-unquote better way to sort through the morass of this war I just haven't felt that at all it's really terrible actually it's just noise and I've been really kind of trying to be selective about getting, like I said, just like the NPR daily update. And then I listened to Plain English had an episode about kind of the war. And then Sam Harris had a couple of, so I read a couple of takes. But the second I see anything on social media, social media is the worst to get any insight into what's happening. The worst. And it's really showing its cracks at this stage. Like I think a lot of people are getting fatigued. And so I moved to Threads and now Threads is Threads is becoming a lot of people pasting tweets as screenshots into it. So yeah. it's, I just think the format. Yeah, they, they try to set up Threads as like a non-news place. But what I noticed is I don't go to Threads that much, but I went and I was like, oh, the shouting's here too. Yeah. At least yeah, the I saw them. Like, there's a lot of shouting going on in all places. Yeah. And sometimes it just becomes, these are really critical and important issues that to me, they don't, there's real lives being lost. Like, it, it doesn't lend itself to a lot of the shoutiness. And I understand that the passions that are around the news. I guess if my goal is to feel more informed, it doesn't get me there. No, absolutely not. I, I think the format isn't right for it, especially in, in something as as kind of, complex and long-lasting and just fucking impossible to discuss as as this thing. So yeah, I think this is where hearing individual thoughtful takes that 
take a little bit of a longer time is a good way to do it. You know, I don't agree with everything. Everybody's got their own opinions, but social media, I mean, Twitter definitely got worse, right, over time. But right now it's it's a nightmare. It really is nightmarish. I don't spend any time of it on it at all. So let's let's wrap up with the AI question. Remember, like for a brief moment in 2021, it was like Web3 fixes this. I, I feel in 2023, it's AI fixes this. Does AI fix this? What do you think, Troy? Can you repeat the question? <laughs> Troy wasn't paying attention. Is this like Linda Gaccarino? <laughs> that's when that's when you knew she had she was cooked. But well, you just weren't paying attention. She just didn't have an answer, I don't think. No, I was wondering like, is there a way to use because like you go back to the product and stuff, and I just think a lot of it is human nature, and I don't know if technology can solve for that. A lot of times when technology tries to solve for the foibles of human nature, it makes it makes it worse. We have a bunch of, I think Peter Kafka on my other podcast called it a tsunami of bullshit coming online because AI is going to enable the creation at infinite scale of bullshit. And, you know, good stuff, but there's going to be a lot of bullshit, let's be real. Is there like an outcome in which the internet failed to make us more informed, if you ask me. We have more information at our fingertips than ever before. I do not feel more informed th than I was before. Maybe I was just blissfully ignorant, but I kind of miss being blissfully ignorant in some ways. Give me an optimistic take, since you're a card-carrying optimist, of AI improving the information space. Well, the information space is a big place. And the more informed we are about particularly things through history, through that lens, the better that we can see the present. So I think that AI is actually really supremely effective delivery of sort of historical, narrow, specific, like it's a queryable database of human experience. I personally find that if we're having a discussion about something, that the ability to turn to Google or AI to get at least some semblance of the facts is, is clarifying in a discussion. In terms of how AI would sort through the nuances of the present, it's not clear to me because they haven't had time to settle. We don't know what is true and what's not true. And so I think that human judgment and rigor and all of the journalistic principles that we just talked about become, in, become really important in the present. Yeah. And so I think it net-net it contributes but what you're talking about is something else, which is the assault of the information space by AI-created content. And that you'd want to believe that the defensive capabilities of AI to sort through the junk that's created by AI can be, well, it can win. It can, it can beat itself, right? So, this is so Silicon Valley. Why well, something has to happen though, because it's it's a tough, <laughs> it's a tough question. <laughs> create a problem and then create a solution to the problem that you created. Right. Chef's kiss, perfect. Well, you know that's the history of technology in general, right? Like, I mean, yeah. My favorite from I covered email marketing like many many years ago, and one of the makers of like the early like most powerful like email service providers that was preferred by spammers because it could send a shit ton of email like immediately. They just started a side business uh, for a spam filtering company. But why do we, we you, you <laughs> talk about this technology like it's different to the invention of mass media, which itself created a bunch of issues, right? 
there's just new stuff going on and new interfaces and new ways to get content and new types of content. And I think that we're still very much living with in the shadow of the printing press and the newspaper with the way content is delivered. And what AI allows us to do is to rethink a lot of these interfaces. And now I think forgetting like the what it does to businesses that 99% of the content on the internet is generated in the next 10 years, what does it do to us, right? And so it'll do something to us where we will stop trusting even more of what we see because you can fabricate anything you want. And there is a sense that maybe we will become more inoculated to manipulation. At the same time, manipulation will become way better and we'll have to build new tools to try and fight it. I don't know. I think it's a massive societal change. It's an interface change. I think the idea of content and what we consider a news article needs to change. I, I think that in 15 years, a title will seem like something ridiculous. Like, why do you need a title? You need a title to separate this article from that article when it's printed on a piece of paper, when all I want is the content. I don't know what it looks like, but I do think it's going to be a massive shift and change. And when that happens, there's a lot of opportunity for people to make something new. I don't know if it's better, but it'll definitely be very different in 10 years than what it is like today. I like that. We should do, we should do an article on reinventing the news articles. Uh, yeah. Because there are a lot of conventions. For, for instance, like the regular news article you're trained is basically around 700 words. And it's, it's that way because of the printing right. press. There's so many things, there's so many conventions of, in this case, the journalism sort of field that carry over into a, a totally different like world that where it's completely unnecessary. I mean, Axios got that right by saying 75% of an article is just B material context. It's like, why don't we just do it in bullet points, the new stuff? I was trying to that open AI like voice chat companion demo that they, they put on the app. You know, there's a little pause between things as the machine is generating everything. But it's becoming indiscernible then to talking to someone. And I don't know why in the future I would even deal with the fact that, well, Axios format is like this and the New York Times format is like this and this and that. I would just ask this AI that knows me to give me an update, not too much, not too little, on what's going on in the world. And what happens when that happens? Because that's the interface, that's the interface yeah. that a lot of people want. And then it's the rest of it is just going to be opinion and people talking and maybe hopefully real real people. But I don't think people are taking this seriously. Like we're trying to figure out where do we put the fucking ad on top of the newsletter. <laughs> put it at the top. Don't overthink it. Put it at the top. You're kind of like on the Titanic rearranging the deck chairs while somebody's flying don't, over you in a jet. I don't know why you keep coming for my newsletter ads. They yeah. never Except happen. Alex, your your assumption about this great new interface is that underneath of it all are verified, validated facts, clear points of view, truth. That's the problem we have right Won't now. Won't they just be trained on like crap? Because AI tools are going to create crap, and then they're going to be the LLMs are going to be trained on crap. And so, but ninety percent like, of that stuff, I think the idea of like truth and misinformation, like we. I wonder if we don't overstate all that. We're constantly trying, like, are we getting lied to and whatever. There's a very obvious, most people just pick a path and believe what they believe because they like the sources they do. It's not like they're constantly, hmm, okay. is the, when I'm reading the New York Times, am I thinking, hmm, the New York Times, are they lying to me? Oh, they made a mistake. Great. I know. But if I turn on Fox, yeah. I'll go, 
my God, this is all bullshit. While other people decide to turn on Fox and believe that well, that's entirely true. Yeah. Well, it's kind of but, the point that I made. But it's not that people are like. It doesn't really. Yeah, I mean, for, particularly with politics, it's like people decide that they, they fill in the facts later. Right. It's not like people who swung from like Hillary to like Trump were like going over Trump's platform and his plan for like infrastructure. So, so my my biases, my AI will understand my biases and satisfy those biases through the media that I consume. The same way I do That's today, right. just with less friction. But can't. But can you like be like, show me something that changes my mind? I mean, I would hope like I would want to well, use AI. I mean, honestly, I I do that listening. Like I think Sam Harris, who I appreciate, I often disagree with some of the statement he makes, and I think he's one of those people that I listen to that I like disagreeing with. That's why I listen to the All In podcast. You know who you would like? To, this is related. Tyler Cohen, who's the. blogger, economist, has a new book out called like the greatest economist of all time. And he released the book with a companion AI bot that you could query on, I'm assuming all of the work that went into the book and related content. And so if you go to his website, you can see the book or download a chapter or whatever. And you can also talk to the book. You would Mm. like that, Alex. I think that's interesting. Talking to the book. So as a wrap up, how old is your son, Alex? He's turning six. Okay, so what advice do you give him for surviving the future information space, Brian? Me? Mm-hmm. I didn't know you were going to go to me. I thought you were going to Alex. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> no, I would tell him that to not trust any one source and to you know arrive. I don't want to be like a do-your-own-research person, but I th- to me, the best way to understand the world around you is to be curious. Right. And I think a lot of people lack curiosity. And so I don't have any children, but I would be less focused on like them reading a newspaper or whatever. They'll find their own path. And the habits of of the parents are generally rejected anyway by the children, I think, over time. But I think curiosity is incredibly important. And I think curiosity leads you to be open to all kinds of different opinions. I think what we're seeing right now is a return of the closing of the American mind, but it's not just Americans, in that people are not curious anymore. They're not open as much. I think a large group of people are not open as much to points of view that are different than where they started. And I think that's the biggest thing, rather than trying to figure out how you can examine explosion craters and understand where the rocket came from or whether it was a shrapnel from this direction or that direction. That's my take. Okay, so should we shift to best product, Brian? Moderator? Yeah, let's go. Okay, well, just quick question for either of you. Do, you, do either of you have a signature fragrance? Oh, God, no. I was just in the elevator and someone was wearing a cologne. It's too European. Okay, Alex, do you have a fragrance? Splash on when you don't have time for a shower? Jacquard Noir? Yeah, I have a couple of things that I splash on. (laughs) See, European. Yeah. I'm not advertising for free. No, I I think that fragrance, I like both candles, high-end candles, and fragrance itself. Well, you got me into high-end candles, Troy. High-end candles. You guys... You guys need hobbies. My, my wife and I often kind of recall that time where Troy was going, oh, you have to go to the this hotel in New York. It was the Gramercy, which I think closed down. He goes like, he goes, the, the candles are exquisite. And I thought that is the fanciest thing I've ever oh heard anyone God. say in my life. Troy. Vanya, only cut that out of no. Troy Pays. That's embarrassing <laughs> for him. Well, now I, now I do. I like candles. I like the company D, DS and Durga. I did like this Gramercy mm-hmm. smell. 
I know this woman who creates, I, I don't know if she still does, but I, I, I knew her a few years ago. She creates signature scents for brands. Mm-hmm. And I wanted us to have a signature scent at Digiday events, like every, so like, just like the Ritz Carlton, like when you walk in and there's like, there's the Ritz Carlton smell. Sometimes they overdo it. The one in Tokyo smells amazing. What, would it be Monster Energy and X Body Spray? Is that? <laughs> yeah, basically. Because I was trying to, like I was saying, like it needs to, it needs to have the heavy musk of capitalism. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, tobacco mixed in with coffee and maybe some like brown liquor. Nice. So, so what's your good product, uh, Troy? Signature scent. Well, it was, <laughs> yeah, scents. I like this one. Oh, called... Tell me it's not smells. Just give us a product. Smell. <laughs> no, but we connected it to, to, I mean, I can get brand specific if that helps. Yes, like, please. I think DS and Durga's Debaser fragrance is really nice and a great name. Debaser, I, like <laughs> I would love. I love yeah. that. I do that without, like, yeah, debasement. It's called great. debaser. You can mm. look it up. What's what? What else is in their line? There's there's lots of good ones. There's one called I don't know what. There's another called Radio Bombay. There's another one I really like called Roman Fruit Sellers. Very nice. These are seventy dollar candles. I would wear a monetizer. That's what I would like. These are seventy dollar candles. How long do they last? A candle costs seventy dollars easily. Yeah. What? Really? Oh yeah, definitely. Usually a hundred. What are the margins on that? <sighs> They're good, good margins. It's good margins. It's got to be. We should get Chris back on to like do scented candles. Well, hang idea. on. If you subscribe yeah. to the candle, it's only sixty dollars every thirty days. <laughs> Did they send you one like every every, week? every month? That's a good business. Yeah, it's a great a, business. This is the future of news. Right on. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Please do leave us a rating and review. It helps people find this podcast. At least that's what Alex tells me. All right, guys, this is well, fun. Well, great. it's great to be back. It wasn't the same without me. Yeah, it, it wasn't. <laughs> and also, I think uh, a couple of things. We should keep telling people to subscribe and share and comment. We've been getting good comments. But also, I've heard feedback that we should introduce ourselves at the beginning of every show because we uh, get a lot of new listeners who don't know who the hell we are. Hmm. So, especially me, to be honest. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. All right, guys. See you. See you.